0: a righteous God, my God is a holy God, my God will stand by me. Exodus 50, or I'm sorry, Judges 15 is where we're going to be this morning. Good to have Rob back with us and lead in singing and pray for his family, continue to keep them in your prayers. or are still battling sickness, but we're glad he's back with us. Just a couple of, uh, of other announcements while you're turning. Um, choir. We will meet this evening at 5 for our practice time. We will meet down in the children's church room um, this evening at 5 o'clock. And that reminds me, uh, any children up through second grade uh, can go to children's church at this time. Uh, Mrs. Garbutt will be back there. I don't know if they've already left. Uh, But anyway... Uh, secondly uh, missions committee members uh, those of you that will be here tonight I uh, would like to meet with you briefly after the service it'll be about a 10 minute meeting after the service this evening we are studying in our Sunday morning services the through the book of judges and this morning uh, we're coming to judges 15 we're in the life of Samson and in judges 15 beginning at verse 14 just We're going to look at the events of the chapter, but I want to just read a few verses to get the setting. It says that when he came unto Lehi, that is when Samson came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his bands loosed from off his hands. And he found a new jawbone of an ass, and put forth his hand, and took it, and slew a thousand men therewith. And Samson said, with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of an ass, have I slain a thousand men? And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand, and he called that place Ramoth-Lehi. We're looking this morning at the battle of Ramoth-Lehi, literally um, you could, you could say it this way, and it's been referred to this way as the Battle of Jawbone Hill. Because that's what Ramoth-Lehi means. The height of the jawbone, or the hill of the jawbone. So the Battle of Jawbone Hill, the Battle of Ramoth-Lehi. Google will tell you anything you want to know these days, so... Um, One of the things you can find out if you go on Google is that there's been a lot of unusual weapons used in warfare through the centuries. The ancient Greeks used something called the Archimedes' claw. Uh, The pictures are interesting, but evidently they had some way. They had devised this um, claw-like thing that when the enemy ships would get near their uh, city, this claw would reach out and grab the ship, pick it up out of the water, and then drop it back in the water, which would cause it to capsize and, and, and the enemy would all drown. I don't know how it worked, but there's pictures, there's drawings of it. Evidently it was a real thing. Uh, there have been bat bombs, that is bombs that were strapped to bats. Uh, and then the bats were released to fly into enemy buildings where the bombs would be detonated. Sorry for the bats. Ladies this was especially popular with the ladies a ring gun it was a ring that you could wear but it was a 22 caliber pistol that fired about five or six shots so you know you don't you don't have to worry about you know carrying concealed I mean it's concealed in your hand and all you got to do is point your hand and pull the trigger or actually just squeeze it was a squeeze trigger and you could take care of the enemy okay just don't use it on your husband there was also a lipstick gun, a lipstick tube that fired one bullet. It didn't say what caliber it was, but nonetheless. Uh, umbrella that shoots a poisonous pellet. It wasn't a, wasn't a um, uh, 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 bullet, but it would shoot a poisonous pellet. It would feel like you got stung by a bee or whatever. For three days, you died from the poison that was put into your body through that. Or... There was found inside the kit of an undercover North Korean assassin in 2011, a flashlight gun and a poisonous pin. So men are very creative. Well, on the Battle of Ramoth Lehi, Samson used what was at hand, which was the jawbone of an ass, a new jawbone. So it's a, it's a fresh bone that is still, it hasn't dried out um, because of the heat, so it's still got all its moisture in it. So it's, that's a heavy instrument. But uh, he took that and killed 1,000 Philistines with it that had come to take him. And that's, again, how the place got its name. He called the place, verse 17, Ramoth, Lehi, or Jawbone Hill, because that's what happened there. So as we look at this this morning, I want to, first of all, just kind of set the stage. What led to this battle? And then what can we learn from it? There's one key truth that we want to consider. And then there are two other thoughts that kind of build off of the main truth. That we're going to look at this morning. But what what led to this battle? What were the events that, that brought about this battle? Well, we go back to the beginning of the chapter, and Samson, really, we go back to chapter 14, where Samson had uh, chosen a, a Philistine woman to be his wife. He had gone down for the marriage ceremony. Uh, it lasted this, there was a feast of seven days. He had given a riddle. His wife had pleaded and begged and cried and pestered him so much that he gave her the answer to the riddle. She gave it to the Philistines. They answered his riddle. And so he was obligated to provide them with 30 changes of garments. He went down and killed 30 Philistines and then took their garments, gave it to the Philistines that had answered his riddle. And then in anger, he went home without his wife. But chapter 15 begins that after a while, in the time of wheat harvest, so it's summertime... Samson visited his wife with a kid and said I'll go into my wife into the chamber so he, he decides his anger cools and he decides that he wants to go back to Timnath and claim his wife but when he gets there his father said I verily thought that thou hast utterly only hated her and therefore I gave her to thy companion I gave her to your best man she's now his wife so you can't have her uh, she now belongs to another. And he says, is not her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her. You, I'll, but I'll give you her, her younger sister. She's actually more beautiful. So take her. But Samson would have nothing to do with it. And so he says in verse 3, I'll be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do something here that um, I have a right to do in his mind. He's going to retaliate. And so he captures 300 foxes ties their tails together with a firebrand, with a burning torch, puts their tails together two, two by two, and stands, turns them loose in the Philistine fields, and, and they burn up all the standing corn as well as the harvested grain. They burn up the vineyards and the olives. They do a, a lot of damage. At the time of harvest, just before the, all these things were to be harvested, they're all burned up. He retaliates. You did me wrong? I'm going to do you wrong. So what happens then? The Philistines then turn around and they retaliate against Samson by burning his wife and her father to death. And so then Samson again retaliates by smiting them. The Bible says in verse 8, hip and thigh with a great slaughter. That is, he killed a bunch. of. It doesn't tell us how many, but um, he went out against them and again slew a number of them. And so, as a result of that, the Philistines gather an army together, verse 9, and they go into Judah and spread themselves in Lehi. And uh, the men of Judah come to, uh, the, first of all, ask them, why are you here? They said, we've come for Samson. We're going to do to him as he has done to us. Um, and 3,000 then of the men of Judah go to the top of the rock, Etem, where Samson is, and said to him, knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this that thou hast done unto us? He said unto them, as they did unto me, I've done unto him, unto them, and so um, they're ready to turn him over to them. By the way, just a note, and this is not the the um, main emphasis of the message, but I think it is worthy to note that, you know, all this. Samson takes vengeance. You did me wrong. I'm going to do you wrong. And the Bible is very clear that we're not to take a vengeance against those who wrong us. It will only lead to more trouble. God will take care of them. Romans 12, 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. If, if we are wronged, God will take care of it. We don't we do don't the right. We're, we're not supposed to take matters into our own hands. We're not to um, take vengeance ourselves. To me belongeth vengeance and recompense, God says in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 35. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18, God says, Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Vengeance belongs to God. And nothing good will ever come from taking vengeance against those who do us wrong, taking matters into our own hands. Just leave it with God. Even the Lord Jesus, when he was reviled, reviled not again but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Even the Lord Jesus, as he was being wronged by his enemies, and through that God provided salvation through Jesus' death on the cross. But the things that were done to him were unjust, but he just left it in the hands of the Father, trusted that what was happening to him was indeed the will of the Father, and let the Father work out his will, and let the Father deal with those who had done him wrong. And that's the example for us. And so these 3,000 men of Judah go to Samson. They state their intent to bind him and turn him over to the Philistines. He agrees to be bound if they will promise not to kill him themselves. They agree. They bind him. Um, and then they, they take him to the Philistines. And that's where we began our reading when he came unto Lehi, verse 14. And the Philistines see him. They shout against him. They think, great, we have got him. But at that point, it says, again in verse 14, that the Spirit of the Lord comes mightily upon him, enabling him not only to break his bonds, I mean, these new ropes that they have bound him with are like flax. They're just like like cotton thread, just nothing to him. And he just breaks loose from these bonds and then grabs that jawbone over the ass, and with it he kills a thousand Philistines. That's the battle of Ramoth-Lehi, or the battle of Jawbone Hill. In addition to a lesson about vengeance... And I'm sure there's more in the first half of this chapter that we could learn, but I want to focus in on just some truth out of the second half of this chapter. And I I want to begin with this thought, and this is the key thought this morning, that God has power to deliver from oppression. And we see that in the story. We read about it in Exodus 15 when we read about the song of Moses and the children of Israel when God had delivered them from their oppressors, the Egyptians. But verse 14 tells us that Samson was able to kill a thousand Philistines with a jawbone and an ass because the spirit of the Lord had come mightily upon him. Not because Samson had the strength in and of himself, but he did it in the power of God. These are the enemies of God and God enabled Samson to be able to kill a thousand of them with this jawbone of an ass and and the rest of them are fleeing away. matter of fact, the, the picture is, he says in verse 15, with a jawbone and an ass heaps upon heaps... I, I've slain a thousand men. The picture is they're running away from him. As, as they see him break those, those ropes as if they were nothing, all of a sudden they're scared. I mean, they know what he's already done. They realize the power of this guy So when he breaks those ropes, they're scared. They begin to run, and he chases after them, and there's just heaps of them along the way that are lying dead where he has been able to kill them. But he does all this in the power of the Spirit of God. He doesn't have the strength in and of himself to kill a thousand of them by himself. And even he credits the Lord with a victory. Notice in verse 18, after it's all over with, he's sore of thirst And he calls on the Lord and said, Thou hast hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant. And then, Now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. Lord, you give me this great victory. Now, are you going to give me over to their hands because I'm thirsty? I I need a drink. But, but But again, just note the fact that he says, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant. He credits God with the victory. He recognizes that he hadn't done this in his own power, in his own strength. That this wasn't Samson doing this, it was God doing it through him. God had enabled him. God's power had been able to deliver him from those that came to oppress him. And it was a part of God delivering his people from the Philistines. But this is exactly what God had promised would happen. In Leviticus 26, we read this, If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and you do them... You will chase your enemies and they'll fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred. A hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight. Your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. And God says, if you will obey me to the children of Israel, he says, then you will chase your enemies and, and five of you will, will be able to, to, to pursue a fa- hundred and slay them and, and 500 of you, oh, I'm sorry, 100 of you will put 10,000 to flight. In other words, just a very few of you have been able to take a great number of the enemy. One man slays a thousand men by himself because God was honoring his promise. In Joshua 23 and verse 10, God said through Joshua, one man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you as he hath promised you. By the way, understand this. We are never at the mercy of men. Okay? As God's people, we are never at the mercy of men. Uh, men can only do to us what God allows them to do, okay? In 2 Chronicles 14, you have an interesting story. Asa is king of Judah, and the Ethiopians come against him with a million-man army. By the way, that's where that phrase comes from, 2 Chronicles 14. But um, they come with a million-man army. They, in addition, they have 300 chariots, Now Asa has a large army, he has 580,000, so it's about two to one odds, but Asa also has no chariots. So it'd be like infantry going out against um, tanks today, infantry fighting against tanks, and you don't have any anti-tank weapons, it's just, you know, they have essentially what was tanks of their day and you've got um, whatever the carbine they're using today, whatever weapon they're using today, but you've got your rifle and they got tanks, and that's all you got. So basically, you don't stand a chance, humanly speaking. And that's the situation that Israel faced, even with two to one odds. It's just not good. So Asa cries in the Lord is God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. So Asa, cries out to God, God we can't do this, we're outmatched, we're outnumbered, we're outgunned, there's no way we could win this battle, but Lord we know that you can give us victory. And so we ask that you would go with us, that you would bless us in this battle, that you would give us victory against this multitude. And the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah and the Ethiopians fled. God did what Asa had asked, God did what God could do, God gave his people victory. We are never at the mercy of our enemies. Now, that being said, our battle today is not with flesh and blood. We have not been called by God to take up arms against a human enemy, even the enemies of God's people. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. Our battle is with spiritual forces. It's not men that are the problem. It's not men that are our enemy. Men are simply the tool that sometimes Satan uses against us. But the battle is a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And in Ephesians 6, we're told to put on the whole armor of God to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The devil is our enemy and his demonic hosts, and he uses the world. He uses things that are tangible, things that are temporal. He uses men and the things of this world but the battle really is not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. It is a battle in the heart. And we battle ultimately against sin. It's, it's a battle not against men, but against sin. Against the devil who uses all of this to try and get us to fall prey to him and to his wiles. To doubt God. To distrust God. To give in to the old nature, the old sinful fleshly nature. It's a heart issue. Jesus said in Matthew fifteen, nineteen, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. All these things come out of the heart. It's a heart, it's a battle in our soul. And that's why in Proverbs 423 it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Everything about your life flows out of what you are in your heart. Therefore guard your heart, literally is what it says. Ab- above everything else, whatever else you guard, guard your heart. Put a wall, as it were, around your heart and don't let anything in that's going to harm you, that's, gonna, that's going to uh, be a traitor to your spiritual life. Guard your, your heart because everything about your life comes out of what's in your heart. And so James would write, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted the enemy. man. Every man is tempted when he is what? Drawn away of his own lust, his own desire. And enticed because the reason that temptation is temptation is because there's still that old nature within you that has a desire for the thing that God has forbidden. And the battle is between are you going to yield to God or are you going to yield to the thing that God has forbidden? And so there is this spiritual battle that we face. Our battle of Lehi is not with a Philistine human army. It's with Satan and it's with sin and it's with our own flesh. And we are powerless, just as one man, humanly speaking, would be powerless against a thousand, or even 580,000 against a million would be powerless. You are powerless against sin and temptation in and of yourself. You are not strong enough to resist in your own strength. Be strong in the Lord. Teenagers, there's another in the Lord for you. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Not in your own strength, but in His strength. The Bible says in Romans 8, 7, that the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. An unsaved person has no ability to be obedient to God. And a believer who is... Who is more dominated by his flesh than his spirit? Than the spirit of God is not going to be victorious. And the Bible reminds us in one Corinthians ten, and verse twelve: Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. The moment that I think that I have the strength in and of myself to resist temptation, then watch out! I'm in for a fall. And Jesus said, "Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation." The spirit indeed is willing. There is that part of you that doesn't want to do wrong. But there's that other part of you, the flesh which is weak, which when the temptation comes, if you're not watching and praying, if you're not experiencing the Spirit of God, your flesh is weak. And if you're not enjoying the power of God through the Holy Spirit in your life and you give into the flesh, the flesh is going to fall. So the, the lesson is this. You're, you can't defeat sin or temptation in and of yourself, but you can through the power of God. That God can enable us to overcome any sin, any temptation that we face, God is able, just as he could allow one man to kill a thousand, as he could, as he could defeat a million-man army for his people, God can give you victory over any and every sin that you face, every temptation that you face. There was an old Scottish preacher by the name of Alexander McLaren he was speaking to another group of preachers about 100 years ago, but he made this remark. He said, The power of God for service is second. The power of God for holiness and character is first. We need the power of God if we're going to serve him effectively. If our our ministry is going to make a difference in the lives of those that we minister to, it needs to be done in the power of God. But he said, that's not our first concern. When we need the power of God first, it's for a holy life and, and godly character. Because we cannot accomplish that. We cannot make that happen in and of ourselves. And so 1 Corinthians 10.13 reminds us, there had no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. First of all, Paul writes that, you know, every temptation you face, there are other people that have faced the same thing. Because Satan wants you to think there's nobody that understands what you're going through. And granted, there may not be anybody within your circle of influence or your circle of friendship that has ever been through what you're going through, but there is somebody somewhere because the temptations that we face, the struggles that we face, they're just common to man. They're the same kinds of things, the same things others face. There's somebody else that is going through or has gone through exactly what you're going through. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you or allow you to be tempted above that you're able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to, to bear it. You can endure the temptation not through your own strength, but because God is faithful, He will make a way for you to escape the temptation. God will provide a way so that you cannot give in. You can experience victory. That, uh, By the way, that... That chapter, 1 Corinthians 10, talks about all the blessings, all the spiritual benefits that Israel had coming out of Egypt and and in their wilderness wanderings and all the things that God did for them, and yet they fell. So don't think that you are not subject to falling, but understand that in the power of God you can resist temptation. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations, Peter wrote, 2 Peter 2 and verse 9. And Romans 6 and verse 6 reminds us that our old man, the old nature, is crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed. The word destroyed means to be rendered powerless, that henceforth we should not serve sin. I don't have to sin because when I was crucified with Christ, when I identified with Christ in his death, I died to the old way of life, to the old man, so that I no longer have to serve him. I can choose to serve him, but I don't have to. Because through the death of Christ, he has been rendered powerless. My old nature has been rendered powerless. It doesn't have power or authority over me anymore. I don't have to yield to the old life, to the old way of life, to the old nature, to temptation. I don't have to do that because of what Christ has done for me. When Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7, when he said, I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, and he understands there's this battle that I face. I, I, I want to do the will of God. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. There is within me that desire, that delight for the things of God, but then there's this war that goes on because there's another part of me that doesn't want to do the will of God. And he says, O oh, wretched man that I am. You ever feel that way? You're in the battle, and you want to do right, but there's a struggle, and your flesh is pulling strongly against you, and you just wish, man, I just wish that I didn't have to fight these battles anymore. And especially when I lose the battle, and then I feel bad, and I have to go to God and say, Lord, forgive me, I failed. Thank you that there is forgiveness in Christ, that all of that was paid for on Calvary, but Lord, I, I, I didn't want to do that, and I did it, and I'm sorry. But then Paul says, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. God will deliver me through Jesus Christ. That's where the victory is found. Not in myself because there's this battle and I'm not strong enough to win the battle. There's a thousand Philistines that I'm fighting. There's a million Ethiopians that I'm fighting. There's this battle that that, that, that there's a, a devil that is stronger than I am. And even my old flesh, I just, I can't, I don't have the strength to resist in and of myself. So what hope do I have? Well, I have plenty of hope because I have Jesus Christ. So we don't have to live in defeat. You can be victorious over any sin, any addiction, any temptation. I say that again, any sin, any addiction, any temptation does not have to dominate your life. Because you have within you the Spirit of God who is more powerful than Satan, than his demons, than your old nature. You can be victorious if you will depend upon the Lord and not upon yourself. And God has a lot of ways of giving you victory. He can take away the desire. I mean, we've all heard the testimonies of people that got saved and before they saved, maybe they they drank or they smoked or there was some habit in their life They got saved, and and they testify, you know, the moment I got saved, no longer did I have a desire for those things. We've heard those testimonies. And that's great. When God does that, that's wonderful. But God doesn't always do that, by the way. Sometimes you have to fight the battles. And it isn't that he takes the desire away, but he gives you the power to resist the desire. Uh, He can keep you from being tempted. He can keep you from... The place of temptation. He taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The psalmist prayed, Psalm 19, 13. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins and let them not have dominion over me and then I'll be upright and will be innocent from the great transgression. Why would he pray that if he didn't believe that God could keep him from temptation? He prayed that because he understood that Lord, you can keep me from even being tempted. But... I can't grow if I'm never tested. I'll never be strong unless I have to learn how to fight a battle in the power of God and be victorious in the power of God. So sometimes God allows you to be tempted. He doesn't tempt you, but he allows Satan to tempt you. And then you have to decide, am I going to depend upon the power of God and be victorious? Or am I going to give in to my flesh and lose the battle? And you you may fight one battle and be done. You may have to fight many battles before you can claim victory. And you might lose some before you're victorious. But don't ever quit fighting the battle. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give in. Don't ever feel like I just can't be victorious. This sin has just got me... And as much as I don't want to do this, uh, as much as I wish I didn't give in to this temptation, I just, I just do over and over again. I just can't get over I can't be victorious. Yes, you can. God can enable you. And if you'll look to Him and trust Him and pray and fight, God will give you the victory. You know, God didn't promise to drive out the Canaanites all at once when he told Joshua, I'm going to give you the land. And he said, I'm going to drive them out little by little. As you fight the battles, I'll give you victory after victory after victory after victory. And that's what God wants to do in your life. And in my life, he wants to give us victory after victory after victory after victory. And he will if we will trust him. If we'll fight the battles, but do it in his strength, trusting him to enable us, him to give us victory. That means we, that we need to, Jesus said, watch and pray. We need to be looking for temptation. We need to be aware of the fact that temptation is going to come. We need to be watching for it. Not Sometimes we fall because we get caught off guard. We, we enter a situation and we're tempted and we weren't expecting it and we fall. And Jesus says, live with an expectancy. You live in a sinful world and you've got an old nature, so you should expect that you're going to be tempted. It's going to be a constant thing. You're going to constantly be aware of the fact that you're you're in a battle and you're in enemy territory and you're going to be tempted. And so be prepared for that and pray that you don't enter into temptation. Be constantly not only watching for the temptation that you know is going to come, but be trusting in Christ. Be walking in fellowship with Christ, talking to him, conscious of his presence moment by moment and trusting him to give you victory. And you can be victorious. And so, in the power of the Spirit of God, as the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon Samson, the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire. His bands were loosed from off his hands. He found the new job of an ass. He put forth his hand, took it, and slew a thousand men therewith. God gave him victory, and God will give you victory. But there's a second truth then that builds out of that one, and that is God would give a victory from oppression, so what a pity that God's people would be content with oppression. Because you back up. The Philistines come and retaliation, all this back and forth between them and Samson. Finally, Samson is waiting, and the Philistines come up to, to the men of Judah, spread themselves in Lehi, verse 9. They come to the, the men of Judah, come to them. Why are you come against us? They said to bind Samson. We were come up to do to him as he had done to us. And so 3,000 of the men of Judah, the people of God, go to the top of the rock, eat him, and they say to Samson, what in the world are you doing? Don't you know they're our enemies, and you've stirred them up against us? What are you doing, Samson? We're supposed to be in subjection to them. Why are you trying to deliver us? That's essentially what they're saying. Samson, what in the world are you doing? These are our enemies, and they are, we're subject to them. And, and why are you trying to deliver us from them? Don't you understand it just makes it worse? They're content to be in bondage to the Philistines, and they didn't have to be. God didn't want him to be subject to the Philistines. God wanted to give him the victory. Matter of fact, the whole thing of Samson's life, one of, one of the lessons that they should have learned from Samson's life is you don't have to be in bondage. You can be delivered. If one man can deliver you from a thousand, what could 3,000 do? If you guys would just, instead of coming to deliver Samson over to them and fussing at him for fighting against them. If you guys would just join him and you all all go out to battle together, you can throw off the dominion of the Philistines. You can be free. So why would you stay in bondage? But that's essentially what they're saying. We'd rather be in bondage than be free. They got comfortable with their bondage or they just didn't think they could overthrow. That bondage could be released from that bondage so they just settled for it. What a pity when God's people would... Be content with defeat when victory is possible. It's a pity when a child of God doesn't experience the victory that God has provided and promised. And when we don't, it's because, number one, we don't believe God. Again, we say, I just can't. Well, you can't in your own strength, but yes, you can. God said you can there is no temptation you such as common to man. God is faithful who will not permit you to be tempted above your able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape. You can be victorious. That's what God says. And either I believe that or I don't. And if, when I throw up my hands and say, you know what, this is just the way it is. I just can't give victory over this. What we're saying is, God, you, you're not true. You're not, you're, you, what you said is not true because I'm not experiencing it. Don't settle for less than the victory that God wants you to have. Sometimes it's not a matter of believing God. It's just a matter of giving up. You know, I just quit fighting. That's what happened, by the way, at the beginning of the book of Judges. We read about the fact that as they came in to take possession of the land of Canaan, they found enemies that were strong and hard to fight against. And so rather than fight against them, they just settled down to live beside them. And pretty soon they're in bondage to them. And sometimes we don't don't experience victory because we just don't fight. We don't battle. We just give in. Oh well. So God has promised you victory. Don't settle for less. Believe that victory is possible and keep on fighting until God gives you the victory. There's one last truth that I just want to touch on as we close this morning. And that is this. Not only was it God was able to deliver his people from oppression, and yet they were satisfied to be oppressed. But I noticed, thirdly, the, the poor way that they treated the deliverer from oppression. Again, they're, not only are they fussing at Samson, they're content to be in subjection to the Philistines, but now they want to turn over the deliverer to the Philistines. They're going to deliver their deliverer over to the enemy. Talk about ingratitude. He's helping them and they're going to deliver him to the enemy. Someone suggested that they were jealous of his success so they criticized him and they wanted him to fail. But again, his life was a a living demonstration that they could have the same victories if they would turn to God like he was. If they would, would just fight the power of God like he did, they could have the same kind of victory he had. So in applying this, think about it this way: How do you respond when somebody confronts you about your sin? How do you respond when the preacher preaches against your sin? How do you react when you see another Christian who's experiencing victory when you're not? You know, we can be like them, get jealous, and in our hearts, you know, they're, they 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 act like they're so good they're so holy. I you know, I can't wait to see them fall flat on their face. You say we would never say that? No. Yeah, we would. We can be as as simple as the children of Israel were. We can get mad when somebody confronts us about our sin instead of saying, "You know what? Victory is possible." They didn't have to live in defeat. Nor do you and when you see somebody that's living in victory don't get upset or angry or even jealous just say you know what what an example to me I'm not experiencing that victory right now but I see that it's possible I see what God is able to do what God has done in their life I can experience that same thing Lord give me victory as you've given them or hey thank you for pointing out this sin in my life because you know what I I, maybe I get used to it. Maybe I didn't see it. I can be blind to my faults. Maybe I didn't realize that there was this problem in my life. Instead of getting angry, I just say, you know, thank you. And then I seek the victory through the power of God. Because victory is possible. And no matter how strong the temptation, no matter how how deep the roots of that sin are in your life, God can give you victory. So don't settle for less. And don't get angry when somebody points out that sin and encourages you to have that victory, just trust God and fight the battle and ask God to give you victory and keep on fighting till he does. Amen. So if you're experiencing failure today in your Christian life, in whatever way that failure is occurring, believe that God can give you victory, that you can be victorious. Don't be content with failure. If you're struggling, you're fighting the battle, and you feel like you're losing more than you're winning, and you think, I can't do this on my own. and you know God does, not only does he enable us, but he also gives us other believers to help encourage us and even to counsel us. When we're fighting those battles and maybe we're struggling and we just need some help, don't be afraid to ask for help if you're struggling. Don't feel like, you know, I, I have to do this on my own. Be willing to reach out to others for help. By the way, if somebody reaches out to you for help, they need to be able to trust you that you're not going to go gossiping about their struggle. Sometimes we don't reach out for help because we're afraid. If I say this, if I let anybody know that I'm having this battle, they're going to go around and they're going to talk about me and I'm going to become the subject of the the, the coffee clacks or whatever. No, don't do that. But if you need help, get help. And if you're experiencing victory in your life, thank God for that. Because it's, it's not you. Now, I've often said, sometimes you've never, there are things you've never done, not because you're so strong that you would never do them. It's just because you've never really been tempted to do them because God hasn't put, allowed you to be in that situation where you are really tempted to something. So if, if you're experiencing victory, or there's things you've never done, Don't say, you know, I'm so good. I would never do that. No, just thank God that you've never had to fight the battle. And by the way, thinking about that just reminds us, be careful about criticizing those who are fighting the battle, and and maybe they're losing right now more than they're winning, and it's easy to be critical of them and to get self-righteous and say, well, I would never do that. I've never done that. I am better than they are. No, you're not. God hasn't allowed you to be tempted. He's allowing them for whatever reason. Instead of criticizing them or sticking up your self-righteous nose in their face, go help them. Pray for them. Encourage them. Because it's all God. It's not us. Well, let's stand for prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the truths of your word. We thank you for Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Lord, you are the one that gives us the strength to fight the battles and you are the one that gives us the victory. Lord, you're the one that keeps the enemy at bay. There's times when we don't have a battle to fight because you are have put that hedge around us like you did with Job and the enemy can't get to us. Lord, thank you that when you allow that hedge to come down, enemy attacks us that if we will lean upon you and trust you that you will give us victory. Lord you know our hearts today there may be one here today that's struggling in a battle against sin, against temptation. Lord it may be you and them that are the only ones that know about that battle. Lord help them to believe that they're not subject to that. They don't have to lose that battle. They can be victorious. Encourage them, Father. Encourage them to keep on fighting. Give them victory. Help them not to give up in the fight. And Lord, if we find out that a fellow believer is struggling, Father, help us not to condemn them in self-righteousness but to lovingly help them in any way we can even if it's just praying for them or encouraging them, counseling them or loving them as you have loved us. And Lord, if there is one here today who does not know Christ as their Savior we pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them that they are in your sight a sinner and they need your forgiveness which is available through Christ because of his death on Calvary. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.